In this series of lessons uh, that we're calling True North, we're thinking about the direction in our lives. And the truth is there are times when we need to think about the heading that we're on, the course that we're on, because a small error in our direction over time can mean we are headed in really the wrong direction. So it's good for us to think, am I going in the right direction or not? And am I going in the direction that God wants me to go? So to do that, we're examining a passage of scripture that's pretty well known to many of us. It's called the Ten Commandments. We find it in the book of Exodus in chapter 20, where God lays out sort of a summation of his expectations of his people. And we're thinking about how that relates to us and how we can find ways to find direction in our lives according to these Ten Commandments. Now, we come today to the sixth of these Ten Commandments, and it's all to do with the way that God views life and how we should understand life. Now, we know that that's important. I mean, many of uh, the dads in the room can sort of resonate with my experience that you were in the room when your children were born, and it's a powerful, life-changing moment to see that life begin. You know, we know um, that there's life before that. We know that life is growing. We have expectation. We're praying. We're preparing a room in our home. We're doing all those things that have to do with pregnancy, but everything changes in that moment. It is markedly different from that moment forward because the child is present in a new way in our lives. And on the other hand, some of you in the room as well have been there when a person has passed from this life to the next. And especially if that person is a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, that moment is powerful as well. To think of that person slipping from our presence with us to being with us to then being present with Jesus. A powerful, holy moment for someone to go from one to the other. And both of those remind us just how important life is. What a powerful and holy gift life is and how important that is to us as believers in Jesus. So as we hear this command, we begin to think about how it relates to us. And we hear the command say a simple thing, you can't murder someone. And we go, well, we already get that life's important. Most of us don't really have a big problem with murder, right? I mean, most of us haven't really had to deal with that. We haven't killed anyone. In fact, it's one of the things that we say, if, if we say, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person, we'll say, I'm a pretty good person, I haven't murdered anyone, right? I haven't killed anyone, I haven't sold any drugs, all those things that we lay out, we pretty high standard, right? And so we don't think this has much to say to us. So what does it have to say? To get at that, what I want us to do is use the sort of the method that we've used all the way through this series. What did it mean to the people of Israel when Moses came down from that mountain carrying those tablets that contained the Ten Commandments? And, and how did it relate to them? Once we establish that, what does it mean to us? So, Exodus chapter 20. Simple sort of terse statement that we find in verse 13. You shall not murder. Pretty clear. I think... Is there anything that we need to really examine there? Because we understand those words. But here's the thing. That's the way the New International Version translates it, and many of the other translations go with that wording as well. But, but not all. If you did a little study, you'd find that maybe some of us even remember. We memorized this a little different years ago. If you memorize the King James, maybe you remember it says, Thou shalt not kill, right? 
And the Revised Standard says, you shall not kill. And you'll have other translations that word it that way too. And we say, well, sounds sort of the same, only one word different, but it is the operative word in the verse. It does really matter whether it says murder or kill. Those are not the same word. They are different. So what does this mean? And in fact, what we find out is that this Hebrew word that stands behind the word murder or kill in English is a bit difficult for us to translate into English because that word changed meaning over time. Now what we can establish is that it was always about the action of one person upon another. So you can go home, you can have a hamburger for lunch, we are not talking about animals here, so you're okay there. So what does it mean for us as human beings? You shall not kill, you shall not murder, what is it about? Well what we find is that if we study this word in Hebrew, we, we look back in history and we see that what it originally meant, at least as far back as we can go, is sort of an outlawing of a blood feud, right? You got one family and another family, one person does something that offends them and it sort of escalates over time, right? It becomes more than eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's like I'm going to one-up you until somebody's dead. And then we're going to kill more people on this side and more people on this side. And so that's what the word really alluded to. But then we see it move. And it becomes something basically like how we would understand murder. But as we see Hebrew expand, and even scriptural Hebrew, we find that eventually it comes to mean an involuntary killing of another person, sort of what we might call manslaughter. Okay? So what does it mean? What did it mean to Israel when they heard this? One thing we do also know is that it wasn't warfare, so we're not outlawing uh, killing another person in warfare. That would be different language. So what did it mean? If we look back, there's a classic commentary by a Bible scholar named Brevard Childs that talks about this, and I think he has as good a definition as we can find. The way he words it is this. The sixth commandment forbids acts of violence arising from feelings of hatred and malice and rejects the right of a person to take the law in his own hands. Now, it muddies the water a little bit because it deals with motive, but what he's getting at is this is not, in the Ten Commandments, talking about something involuntary. This is action. This is purposeful because of what's going on in our heart. We kill someone because they have something we want, because they've hurt us, because we're afraid of what they might do with maybe information about us. Whatever it may be, we're ready to kill that person because of our malice or hatred. That's really what this command is talking about. So, it's murder, maybe a little bit larger than that, killing, but not quite so far as just an involuntary thing or warfare. So, so what's at the core of this? The core, the reason why God says this is because God is sovereign over life. Okay? We can't take the law into our own hands because this law is God's law. Life can come from only one place. And that's from God himself. We are alive today. We are sitting in this room, breathing, communicating with another, talking to God because God has given us life. And because God has given that life, since it is a gift of God, since it belongs to God, it is holy. It is sacred. And I don't have the right to take it from another human being. That's what we're getting at here. So... The Ten Commandments are connected. I think that's clear. And in, what we see is that we're backing up a little bit to what we've already talked about. That if I take the life of another human being purposefully with malice and hatred, what I'm doing is 
I'm setting myself up in God's place. I am having a God before Yahweh, and the God is me. It's idolatry. I'm saying I'm going to follow my will rather than God's will. I'm going to take God's place, who is sovereign over life and death. I'm going to make myself sovereign over life and death. I can't do that. It violates this sixth command, and it violates the first three commands as well. Because life is a gift from God. So, what is this command saying to us? And to them, we respect life because it is given by God. Life is always a gift from God. And so we respect it because it is that gift. I can never take God's place and decide who lives and who dies. Now, what's the application of that? Well, what I think it means for us is that there are some real challenges in this life. Remember, culture changes. I think human nature sort of basically stays the same. But culture changes, and it brings up all kinds of ways that we have to reinterpret what God is saying in Scripture. And here's one of them. Now, so for me, what this says is because life is so important, because it is sacred, because it is holy, because we respect it since it's God's gift to us, Whenever we're talking about issues of life and death, we need to have pretty careful conversations about how we apply God's instruction here. Now, if we're talking about murder, that's pretty clear, right? We're not allowed to say, hey, that other person has offended me, they have made me angry, I'm going to take that life. As Christians, we know this command, and the New Testament as well, say that that is unacceptable, it's sinful. But there are other issues that are more complicated. There are other issues that Christians take lots of different opinions on, and we should be having conversations about what it means for us to apply God's law here. So, another one is abortion. Now, for many of us in the room, it's pretty clear to us that there is life in the womb, and there is life after the birth of that child. And it looks a lot alike, okay? Still the same child, still the same life. And so we are grieved when so many lives in our country and around the world are taken through abortion. And we grieve over those lives that were never lived because of abortion. And Christians should have careful conversation about these things. It's easy for it to get heated. What we need is careful conversation. What does scripture say? How do we respect the life that God has given in the face of this really difficult issue that is pervasive in our culture? How do we talk about the importance of life? And we also know the grief that an abortion can cause to a mom, to a dad, to grandparents, to a family, the guilt that's associated. So we as Christians also need to be thinking, how are we ministering to people in the aftermath of this decision? How are we ministering to moms and dads before the decision is made? What are we doing to support them in that decision so that they make a choice that respects life? Maybe one that's even more difficult than that. What about capital punishment? For many of us, we look at people who have committed crimes so heinous and have injured people in such dramatic and traumatic ways so that families never recover from the murder that's taken place. And we say, that's so bad that this person does not deserve to live. Well, how do Christians respond to that thinking as we also understand the respect that God has for life? This is not an easy issue. I don't have all the answers. 
But what I'm getting at is if it is this important to God, we as Christians should be thinking through with careful conversation, how do we address that? How do we address the fact that there are people on death row that when we find out they didn't commit the crime? What if the punishment had been meted out and it shouldn't have been? What do we do with that? Those are things that Christians need to examine in light of what God has to say. And there's lots more. We could talk about many more. But, but the point is, if it's this important to God, we should be talking about it. Let's take one step further. What does Jesus say about all this? We can turn to Matthew chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking about the Old Testament, Old Testament commands and how he's reinterpreting them for his followers. And we read these words in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Well, Jesus is referring back to the Ten Commandments given in both Exodus 20 and over in Deuteronomy. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, we get that. God was very clear about this. You don't murder someone. Jesus continues, verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, you call names, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus goes on, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, deal with it. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? Listen, this matters so much that it's not just about the action. It's also about the thoughts and the feelings that stand behind the action. Sure, God cares about our actions. God cares whether his people or anyone else murders another person. But Jesus says what stands behind the murder, the thoughts and actions are equally important to God. So, when we speak about someone, and our words, or even our thoughts, devalue that person and that life, we stand guilty before God. Because what we're saying is, that person is worthless. That person's life really doesn't matter because of what they've said, because of what they've done, because of the way they've offended me, because of the way they treated my kids or my wife or my husband or my parents. They're just not important. And when we devalue life, here again, we're taking God's place. And we're saying that something that God has created, which is holy, is of no value. Even though God gave that life, we are taking value from that life. And when we do that, we're taking God's place. And so often that gets us in trouble. And it doesn't take very far, looking back in human history, to see that it works just like that. For example... You go back to Nazi Germany. And what you see is the language that is spoken about Jewish people during that time says their lives don't matter. They are devalued. They're not really human. And if they're not really human, we can do whatever we want. We can extinguish them. We can exterminate them. That's how our thoughts and our feelings affect our actions. We can look back in the history of our own country. <clears throat> where one group of people says about another group of people, they're not really human beings. 
at least not like we are, so we can enslave them. We can own them. We can force them to do the work that we don't want to do. In fact, if they don't do that well, we can just kill them. Our thoughts and our feelings affect our actions. And it's easy for us to say, I'd never do that. And I'd like to think I'd never do any of those things. But you know, there are a lot of Christians in Germany who thought they were really good Christians who followed right along with some of those things during the 30s and 40s. It's easy for us when we devalue life to devalue people and violate this command. So it's important for us, even during this week, I don't think most of us are going to be tempted to murder anybody this week. At least I hope not. If you are, give me a call. We'll deal with it, okay? But I think it's important for us to look in our hearts and our minds. The way I've talked. You know, most of us aren't going to be tempted to kill someone, but some of us, somebody in the room might just get ticked off about something that someone did today at church. And on the way home, we're going to say something about it. Our words... Our thoughts devaluing the life of another human being. And if so, we stand guilty. And we need to seek forgiveness from God. Most of us have done that. Life. We respect life because it is given by God. And because it's God's, it is holy and it is pure. And it is sacred. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for life, thankful for the gift that you've given us. Thankful that we stand before you today because you created us. And God, we pray that you will show us how to have the same respect for life that you do as creator. And help us to love those that are not always easy to love so that we value them as you would value them. God, help us to deal with the difficult issues that surround life and death and the things that our culture is going to throw at us that maybe we don't even know are coming right now, but will come in the future. Help us, because we are grounded in your word, to know how to respond. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news for us today is that God values life, and he values it so much that he sent his son, and he took on human life, and then he was willing to give that life on a cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could receive forgiveness and spend eternity with God. God did that because he loves us and he wants us to respond to that gift. And maybe today is the day that you need to do just that, to put your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, which we all have to do, and then to be baptized, to be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of sin. If you've made that decision, we want to know about it. Or maybe you've decided you want to be a member of our church. You've done all of those things. You've been baptized into Christ. You want to serve here. If you've made either of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation.